Welcome to episode 22 of Teachers Lift. In this episode, our hosts, Aditi and Colin, are talking to Luana Phillips from the Center for Applied English Studies at Hong Kong U about the powerful role that works of art can play in helping students to learn. Luana chats about how engagement with art can not only enable students to make meaning, but can also enhance their ability to articulate and convey complex ideas. We're looking forward to this chat. Now I'll leave it to Aditi and Colin. Have a good chat, guys. A big warm welcome to our listeners from Colin and I, Aditi at Teachers Lift, our podcast on teaching. Our guest today is Loana Phillips, our much adored colleague and friend. Loana has been teaching at the Center for Applied English Studies since 2003 and is currently a lecturer at the center. She teaches undergraduate as well as research postgraduate students and serves as the deputy program coordinator for uh, graduate school courses at the center. Hi, Loana. Hi, Colin. Colin, would you like to say a few things before we shoot questions? Ah, well, I can maybe um, maybe ask the first question. Why not? Yes, please go ahead. Loana. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so maybe maybe you can just give our listeners um, some idea of, of what it is that you do um, with with your sort of use of art. You mean in teaching, Colin? In teaching at the um, uh, in the in the centre. Yeah. Okay, so my, my main focus this semester is postgraduate students. I'm focused on helping them understand how to be effective communicators in their own research fields, mainly through speaking and writing. So my research focuses on speaking. And so I use the concepts that I've learned of engaging with art to help my students express their own their own understanding of connection, of complexity, of emotion, and of dissonance. And these areas I've just mentioned are for the areas that I'm focusing on in my own PhD. And I feel that these areas are relevant for these students to push them cognitively so that they can become more aware of how to express complexity. That's wonderful. If we could just clarify for our audiences, uh, what do you mean by art? Anything can be an art form. Yeah. Um, so in this particular context, what exactly do you mean by art? So it's a good question, Aditi. So I refer to art as visual art, as opposed to, say, the dramatic or performing arts. I'm not talking about music or theatre. I'm talking about visual artworks that you might see in a museum. For example, the common ones of the painting, sculpture, print a drawing um, and my PhD is focusing on one particular painting and I'll say the name of it and if you're listening you can very easily go to the online version of this painting. Um, Colin and Aditi you might like to try it because um, I would like people to understand what it's like to look at art by looking at art. I want people to actually be with the artwork. So the title is The Ambassadors. I'll just spell it. A-M-B-A-S-S-A-D-O-R-S. And if you type that in, and then I'm going to tell you the name of a very good art website. It's called Google Arts and Culture. Google, as in Google we all know and love. Arts and Culture. Give you a few seconds to get to that. Very easy, very simple. All free, no password, no register, no nothing. 
It's a beautiful painting. It is a beautiful painting. Have you got it, Colin? Uh, yes, I can see it now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is a painting um, from 1533. So we're talking about 500 years ago, approximately, in Europe. And this is the, one of the main paintings that I use in my study. Why is that? Why did you choose this one? Yeah. Again, a very good question, Aditi. <laughs> I, chose, I chose it for a variety of reasons. One is, it's very famous, but if you haven't seen it before, don't worry. You're not expected to be an art expert. It is a very unique painting in this time period. It has um, a lot of complexity, which allows for different levels of engagement. And I would argue at university, you want students to be able to engage in different ways and at different levels with whatever concept or point you are making. It is also um, extremely technically skillful and you may note that you can zoom in and out of the image. It's a bit like Google Earth or Google Maps. So it, it's, it allows for a lot of uh, interaction, audience and artwork. It also has a huge amount of narrative involved. But again, I would stress a point. You are not expected to know about the painter. You are not expected to know anything about the painting. You are not expected to know about art history, neither the teacher nor the students. My main focus is on looking at the art. But this is a still image, Loana. Yes, that's And correct. you say there's a lot of narrative involved. Yes. How can a still image have a, na a narration of any sort? Because the narration is created by the viewer. And the viewer's task, beyond a quick look in an art gallery, is to focus on the painting and give attention to it. And if you give attention to it, even though it's static, as we would call it, you can discover levels of meaning. And I would also argue at university, you want students to concentrate, to explore, to be aware of possibility and to have energy to explore the possibility. And anyone can do that with a painting. So is the anyone. idea to... Oh, Colin, go ahead, please. Sorry. Yeah, um, I thought maybe I'd just describe the painting a little sure, bit. Sure, yeah, go ahead, Colin, yeah. Two, two, uh, two gentlemen, two, two bearded gentlemen, um, standing, uh, standing with their arms rested on what looks like some kind of shelf uh, with... Um, a couple of globes and what looks like a lute um and yeah they're sort of dressed up in, in in all their sort of um you know uh renaissance finery mm -hmm. so um i wonder uh if you could maybe you know how would you sort of if i was a student uh and i came into your into, into your sort of um your tutorial or or you know with you how would how would, what would we do next? What, what would you say to me and when you, if you presented this as the picture to me and said, you know, um, let, let's talk, you know, how would you sort of approach that? The question that you're asking is quite general, Colin, in, in the sense of you're not tying it into a particular task or particular language area. So if you, if you wanted to use it as a, a way of focusing in general, well, the most natural way to focus is to look at it and so I would say okay everyone I want to show you an image painting please can you uh, look at it so uh, I would ask students to spend a little time looking and by a little time I mean more than 10 seconds literally I might say okay I'm going to give you one minute to look at this painting 
This is assuming that you have said to students, okay, today's class, I'm using some art. It will be related to the content. Let's look at the picture. Let's do that, shall we, everybody? If I give you, say, one minute, it might seem like a long time, but let's try it. I'll time you for one minute, look at the painting. Okay, go. Well, what I can say is that the, the Google thing is very nice because Colin, uh, just, look. I mean, just for the listeners, the, the, the <laughs> Google arts and culture is very nice because you, get, you can zoom into incredible detail. I mean, you can zoom right up and then you can actually yeah. see the, the it's, tiny, it's fantastic. tiny tracks and the paint. You know, it's extraordinary, the detail. No, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking probably I might use this painting to, to talk about how many different interpretations an image can have. Uh, there, there's so many ways to look at this. And um, I think every person would have their own unique take on that image. Is that how you use it? Is that, is that the point you drive home in the class to show students that, you know, everyone will read a piece of text differently and that understanding a text is a negotiation between the reader and the text? Is, is it that? Yes, you're, you're, you've put it very well, Aditi, in that you could express it as a, a dialogic exchange, meaning the viewer is not a passive looker. And I know that the most natural idea, natural, when you look at art is, hmm, you know, nice picture or not. And then, oh, I wonder what's happening in the artwork. Oh. You can go into an art gallery and see primary school children on the floor sitting around a painting, the Mona Lisa, and the teacher is there. It's quite a natural thing to have. have. Students go into the art gallery and look at the art. They're not expected to be experts. They're not expected to know the artwork. They sit on the floor and they look at the artwork and then they try to maybe say, hmm, I think that these two men might be friends because da, da, da. So the most natural reaction to looking at art is to say something about what you can see, but there's more than what you can see. There is what you think might be happening at a different level. As Cezanne, Paul Cezanne, the post-impressionist artist said, your eyes look at the canvas, but your mind goes around to the back. I'm slightly paraphrasing, meaning you can look and see things, but your mind can go behind the painting. So it seems like a very cognitive task. Then how does it relate to language learning? I am not just looking at language learning. My focus is on helping students understand how to express themselves in ways that are complex, in ways that show their own understanding and their own engagement. So I'm not trying to get them to use a certain vocabulary word or checking their tenses as such. I am trying to help them explore how to express themselves. I'm trying to help, I'm trying to push them into directions they don't normally go. I'm trying to get them to deal with visual information that is unique, that is challenging, that has various levels. And in doing so, as their eyes deal with the different shapes, colors, lines, spaces, the, the eye work is connecting to the brain work. And I'm trying to get them to think, 
how are they taking in what they see and how are they dealing with it? For example, pictures are called visual text. Meaning doesn't just have to come through linear writing. So I'm trying to put my students in a new situation and saying, don't be scared, have a go, let's see what happens. So the teacher's job has, is to then, okay, how does that link into the vocabulary test? For sure. So you can link this into different specific tasks. You could argue the vocab test is to focus, to identify small differences in meaning. So Anna, um, uh, is there, is there any, you know, is there any sort of um, uh, scholar in, in this kind of field that you're, you're following from, you know, who, who are the kind of, the, the kind of people uh, that you're sort of following on from and, and, and what, what are their sort of, what are they trying to achieve with this, do you think? Yeah, good question, Colin. Um, I'm doing a phenomenological study, phenomenological of someone in a particular situation. I'm trying to understand what it's like for my students when they look at the art. So I'm touching on areas of psychology, of art, of education, and of philosophy. So I'm reading in quite a few different areas and working them together. So phenomenology authors are uh, Heidegger. And Heidegger is one of the authors I find easier to read. And the point of Heidegger is, what is it like from the experience of the person going through the process? Literally, can we actually try to be the student and understand what it's like for them to go through a particular phenomenon? And the phenomenon of my study is engaging with and talking about the art. So I'm not looking at pre and post. I'm not doing a test. I'm not doing a comparison. I'm dealing with the first-hand experiences and reflections of my students. And as I deal with art, I am dealing with qualities of color and line. I'm focusing on the quality of the student's experience. So I'm not really doing any surveys or getting numbers. I'm trying to understand as much as I can about their experiences of complexity, of multiplicity, of emotion and of tension. What happens for them when they're looking and engaging with the art? So another one, another author is called Maxine Green, who is a very well-known American educationist and philosopher. And part of her research is that by looking carefully, by, as she says, attending to art, a spark of creativity can be ignited in the student. And she uses the word spark. And I'm trying to create a spark. Um, the other authors are Elia Eisner, for example, um, who another educationalist who wrote The Enlightened Eye. That was one of his key publications. So how am I trying to enlighten the eyes of my students? I'm trying to treat them humanely. I'm trying to treat them as individuals with emotion. I'm trying to treat them as people potentially with huge creativity. And so Eisner's, Eisner's focuses, focus was on, you know, let people be people, let people be them within, within their learning. I'm also looking at um, Abigail Hosen, who is a cognitive psychologist from America, who in collaboration with Philip Yenowin, 
who was the fine art director of one of the major art galleries in America, created a learning platform called, called VTS, Visual Thinking Strategies. Listeners, you can just type in VTS and it will take you there. Visual Thinking Strategies is a collaboration of education, psychology and art, meaning how can we help learners, help students be creative and be expressive and connect to what they're learning. And my feeling in my job and my research is every student is unique. Every student has their own view and I want them to value their own view. I want my students to feel that their view has impact. And one of the ways that I have experienced using art is what my students say when they're looking at the art. And what they say, I find really amazing. And so I wanted to capture it, yeah. Luana, it seems like um, a lot of the focus is on expression. Yeah. That uh, students are learning how to express their thoughts, their emotions, yeah. um, and, and convey what they see in the picture. But yet, I'm sorry to belabor the point here. So it seems that this could be used to enhance any kind of thinking. So why, so how are you specifically using this in the language classroom? In what ways does it help? Um, uh, so, so let's say I'm a language teacher. Of course, I, I could be anybody, but uh, for, for, for the purpose, because we are from the Center for Applied English Studies, what do I need to be mindful of as a teacher when I'm using art in the classroom? So do I, does this give students an opportunity to speak up? to own their thoughts? Like, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, if the student is feeling interested in the painting, and let's, let's assume that they're all looking at it, my experience is that as students look, people can start to speak and say things. In my research, I wasn't overly directive. I didn't say necessarily look at this part of the picture or here's a specific question. I just said to my group of students, look at the picture and say what you think about it. It was very open because I'm not trying to direct the students in any particular way. I'm just waiting for them to create something from the artwork. So yes, they might create specific words or specific phrases. Um, for example, one of my students in their reflection said that looking at art for her was like going forwards and backwards at the same time. I thought, ooh, Interesting. What do you mean by going forwards and backwards? She was a fine art major and she said forwards because I'm talking with people who don't study fine art and so we have a different kind of conversation and backwards because I know specific things about the painters and they don't. So in the reflection I've had students say that they never realised the power of painting and they feel regret that they didn't look at painting before because they realise that it has a lot of power power to affect them. Um, one student looked at something in this painting and she said, horrible, awful, terrifying. And she was very emotionally impacted. And to me, that was something that I remembered and she remembered. And looking at the painting took her emotionally into a place that was different. So I'm not necessarily trying to get certain adjectives to come out of their mouths, but I'm trying to get them to express a particular reach out to the picture. For example, I'm looking at some of my data right now. 
and one of the comments that one student talked about was the connection between the two men. And again, I just read out a few of his words. He said that the man in the black robe, he said, might be a subordinate. And the man who holds a telescope in his hand could be someone of higher rank. And they are different in terms of power relations, and they are also different in terms of their social roles. Amazing. I mean, as much as what the picture is saying, this is also indicative of our own perceptions and biases and assumptions. So I continue a little bit more, Aditi, just so that you and Colin can understand a little bit what they say. So the student says, the man on the left, I suppose, should be the ambassador. And the man on the right looks like a clergyman, someone who works in a church. And then he says, you just guess, you just venture a guess. And then one more sentence, which I thought was very interesting. He says, um, I was reminded that during the medieval time, the church ruled Europe. I'm not surprised by his presence, the presence of the clergyman. Colin, you have been the program coordinator for arts courses at the center for a few years now. So as a, as a coordinator of um, the arts courses, how do you see the role of, of arts here, um, the visual here? And do you have any questions related to that for Luana? Well, I suppose we, we have courses where we, in some of our courses, we, we, we look at literature, we look at philosophy, um, we look at cre the creative arts, including, you know, the art that um, Luana's discussing, um, advertisements. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, you're, you're looking at a kind of primary source. You, you know, all, all these are primary sources, which are sort of, uh, sort of ripe for analysis. And I think any, anyone who's studied literature or, or art or realizes that there's so many lenses that you can you can take to, to look at any any kind of primary source um, you know whether that's uh, you know a, a kind of a literal reading where you just kind of look at what's there or, or you know more figurative reading where you're you're sort of trying to see what's implied uh, in the primary source as well so I, I mean I, I can understand that as, as uh, you know what I would see as or what I would tell students as is, is the opportunity to use language in a way that they very unlikely have another opportunity to do that in. Yeah, exactly. Very often when people, even when people write something that can be quite expressive, like an essay, very often they're sort of guided into sort of genre structures. And, and I, I think uh, you, you're right. It sort of makes people think in a, a linear or a certain, a certain way uh, whereas when, when they approach uh, a kind of primary source like this, um, suddenly they, they connect, uh, you know, and, and they're using language in, in ways that they, would, um, that they wouldn't normally use it in. And maybe, you know, as you say, they're creating, I mean, what I always find interesting is, is sometimes that the phrases that they create are not necessarily ones that would be, we would recognize as collocations or, 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 or recognizable phrases, but they somehow kind of work. It's like they've coined a new phrase and you say, oh my exactly. goodness, I want, to, I want to sort of take that and use it in my own language because it, it yeah. captures something quite precisely. Well, one of my students talked about the tension of dissonance and I found that was a very, very interesting phrase. And another student talked about the limitation of creativity. So for me, the, 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 these just stay in my mind. And I think, why do they stay in my mind? But what you said, Colin, is very relevant, yeah. 
I, I completely agree with Colin and, and you, Luana. Um, but to me, it's also showing that these images have a very powerful emotional impact on us. Absolutely. And these emotions then create language. Exactly. So in a way, it's thinking of um, different entry points within the image. Uh, people can take multiple entry points and the path that they follow is not linear. It is not directed. The teacher cannot say start here and end there because everyone is on their own. But the challenge is, I don't know the answer. The teacher doesn't have to know the answer. It's not a case of, you know, what are these men doing? What's the answer? Uh, well, we don't know what they're doing. They could be doing lots of different things. The point is, what do you think they could be doing? So, you know, the bigger level is, what are we trying to do at, at tertiary level? What is the way we're trying to educate our learners? And my feeling is I'm trying to be with my students. I'm trying to share with them experiences that are cognitively new and puzzling and confusing because then it's pushing you to go to a different place in your head. And that's why I love teaching and that's why I love art. Where are you going in your head? I can't tell you where to go. I can help you go into different places. I remember, Loana, there was a time when you and I were talking about some activities and you had this fantastic activity with different color blocks Over. On, on words. So words were uh, maybe green and then sentences, which, which were longer blocks in, in orange. Using air rods. Yeah. yeah. And, and so creating um, linguistic differences or making students realize the differences and how how the building blocks of language are through these um, very powerful visuals, these blocks, colorful blocks. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Do you mean the use of cuisineer rods or the use of color or different kinds of materials? How do you mean? Um, I don't know what, what that thing is called. The oh, let me, hold on. Um, pause for a second. Mm -hmm. Let me get it. <laughs> this is from my British Council days, cuisineer rods. Yes. I was, I was going to say Phil would... Phil would be so proud. <laughs> I, I, I remember the days when I, I knew Phil at the British Council. He, he introduced us all to. <laughs> yeah, he was our host. The reason is, well, you know, I like colour. I try to involve colour. Colour has an emotional reach. Colour has a symbolic reach. Colour is a different meaning input. And one of, the, uh, one of the reasons I'm interested in artwork is, you know, text, written text is not the only way to convey meaning. You can convey meaning beyond a written word. And there's a whole world of color and shape and line and shade that is freely available. You're not breaking copyright, it doesn't cost anything. Everyone's got their IT device. It's incredibly easy to use. It's really, sorry, I can't stop now. It's really <laughs> high quality. Why aren't we using it more? And I can tell you from my 10 years of experience and more teaching and reading, we don't use it enough. So the blocks are visualizing, manipulating, be, being your own creator. I can't tell you what's the right block. You, you, you can tell me, we can work together. And you know, you can touch it and hold it. Imagine you had a, a sculpture that you were holding. Artwork is concrete, it's visible, it's there. You can touch it, you can move around it, you can point to it. So it's a different way. A PhD on, on this topic, incorporating the visual into education. 
what what have you found out so far? So I was just thinking about that question earlier because you sent it to me and I'd like to read out to you what I wrote. So I have found out students create impactful expression at two levels of looking. Gestalt, which is the whole picture, and Versteheim, which is part of the picture. These are levels from German psychology, uh, excuse me, phrases. Within these two levels, four main narratives are expressed. One, awareness of connection. Two, emotional engagement. Three, tension of dissonance. Four, laid meanings and multiple perspectives. Students reflect that talking about art is a complex, different, and multi-layered dialogic interaction with art. One more sentence. My research directs focus to the underused but important possibilities of helping tertiary students express themselves orally through dealing with complexity and multiplicity, con creating connection and maintaining focus. Thinking and production processes required when engaging with art at higher thinking levels and when participating effectively as a university student. I've condensed 10 years into a few sentences. Well, thank you for that. Yes, it's very concise. I try to be clear, concise and complex. And for me, the picture is a complex conveyor of meaning, but you have to deal with it. Same as a complex text. Deal with it. Learn. Learn literacy. Learn academic literacy. Learn visual literacy. Work them together. So it's the same thing as visual literacy or the new literacy movement or um, multimodal literacy? It's part of it. It's part of that family. Yes. And in a lot, of, a lot of the research that I've read, when they talk about visual literacy, it tends to be charts, graphs, PowerPoint slides. Fair enough. I don't see much on, let's look at a painting. And I think, why not? Why don't we look at a painting? It's right. Uh, there, there is maybe this, um, you know, in these days, I guess, there's an idea that education is really about preparing people for the workplace. Traditionally, I think, you know, certainly a humanities degree was always about, I guess the idea was to sort of make you a better person or make you a rounder or, or a wholer person. And some people would say that's what it should, should be for, that you're not, it's not really about becoming this necessarily a critical thinker in the sense that you're going to jump into the workplace with being able to analyze every sort of problem solved, but you have a chance before you enter the workplace to sort of, sort of round yourself off as a, a thinker and as a, a person. That's a very good point. And as you say that, Colin, sorry, as you say that, you make me think of the Hong Kong U 10, 10, 10 year vision, you know, 2016 to 2026. And they say they want students to be creative, problem solvers, blah, blah, blah. So what they say in that vision, I think, relates to what you can do with students when they look at artwork. It's not, not necessarily immediately goal oriented. It, well, it's about the process, I would say, the process of looking and the process of thinking. For the sake of being creative as a, as a sort of something that, that brings sort of enhancement to your life just by, through the act of being creative, whether that act of creativity is making a painting or actually, you know, uh, interacting with it and feeling, you know, being creative in your interpretation of that. I guess you could say to an employer, would you like... Um, to employ someone who could do the following things. 
maintain focus, analyze detail, make connections, deal with complexity, express themselves in clear, concise ways. And they might say, yeah, that sounds great. Okay, well. Also, also has yeah, benefits for anyone. Yeah, for anyone. To me, art is open to all. And um, I, I just wish that teaching was more visual. And I wish that people spend a little more time looking at beautiful artwork because it's not only challenging, but it's beautiful. It's, it's like visual therapy. Do you think universities are ready to formalize this into, the, into mainstream curriculum for yeah. different oh, courses? Yes, I think it would be incredibly easy because, again, you click on your, the link and you're in it. And you don't have to make the material necessarily. When I, do, when I did my research, I didn't make material. I opened the picture. When I teach, uh, I might make some questions, but the material is there. And again, you don't have to do preparation in the sense of reading about you know, the painter. It's not about what you know of that painter. It's when you look at the painting, where does your mind go? So the skill of the university teacher would then be, of course, in trying to connect it back to a specific task at hand. But to try and make students aware, well, you know, we've spent 10 minutes looking in detail at this painting and you've identified certain areas and made a connection between the men and where they are. So keep your focus. Let's now talk about the aspects of engineering that I want you to focus on and make connection. My study is not looking at transfer, but my bigger point is get the cognitive mind ready to do something at a higher level. Give them the practice. Yeah, it's very good to talk about it, and I can see the benefits. But at the same time, when things need to have very solid and concrete structures, when we are talking about, um, you know, incorporating it within our courses, I mean, I'm just thinking, how would you have an assessment with, the, with a painting? I wouldn't necessarily assess students' ability to engage with the painting. Exactly. So this doesn't seem aligned with the way we test learning, with the way we teach. Exactly. I'm not trying to say that this is a way that you can test. And when you say align, to me, what are we doing when we look at aligning, for example, course outcomes and materials and course objectives? And when you look at the marking criteria, you tend to see things like be critical, show complex thinking, make connections between um, non-transparent areas, for example, deal with key points and understand supporting information. So these are, these are wordings from our own marking schema. And I would say that you can help students do that when looking at the artwork as well. And you're saying, okay, we're not reading a text, but we're looking at a visual text. Let's find some key points. Let's look at a connection. You explain what you understand by what you are reading. So you are trying to get the students to be more aware, more analytical, more critical, more able to express themselves clearly. And I would argue that that's what we want to do in all of our courses. But then many teachers may not have the kind of intuitive sense about art that someone like you does. So for instance, I might look at the Mona Lisa. You know, I, I really went to the Mona Lisa uh, uh, when I went to France, uh, to Paris, and I looked at it and, and, and I went, 
I was about 20 something. I went, what? This is, this is what the big deal is about. <laughs> I know. It, I was it, like, it, it's nothing. It's so ugly. Why did I come all this way to see this? So, <laughs> what, what does a person like me do? You don't have to like the painting. You don't have to understand the painting. You need to stay with it for more than a few you know, minutes. And you need to try and say, well, why do you think it's not any good? You need to justify your reaction to it. You need to try and say, well, it doesn't reach me or I don't understand it because. So you could then say the rhetorical functions of cause and effect or of explanation of exemplification are being practiced by you. Meaning you are trying to clarify what your understanding of your content is in different ways. And I heard a conversation, an art conversation is, doesn't matter if you don't understand what you're looking at, and it doesn't matter if you like it or not, and it doesn't matter if you know anything about it or not. What matters is that you're talking about it and you're, you're just dealing with it in some fashion. So even if you don't like it, that's cool. But what you can do at DT is you know, pick a picture that you do like. Pick a picture that, so for example, Colin, tell me about a paint, tell me the name of a painting or an artist that you like. Oh, it has to be Hieronymus Bosch's Hell, doesn't oh, it? Oh my God, let's see if we can find that. Just, just for the listeners, what, what should we type in to find it? I, I guess it would be Bosch and Hell. Yeah, Hell by Hieronymus Bosch. You can find that in a second, yeah. So... I've, I've seen it in, uh, in Madrid. I, I saw that it's a triptych, so it's... Yeah, it's isn't that incredible? It's got hell, and then it's got purgatory, and it's got heaven. And it, it's the strangest looking thing because... It looks like something which is incredibly. It's, some of the images are famously uh, modern looking. Images that look straight out of the Blitz, you know, the realness that to it that, that people would sort of think, oh, that must be Dali or somebody like that. That must be a, you know, the the twentieth century painted that, but it's not. I mean, it goes to show as well that, um, yeah, <laughs> the thing. I mean, I mean, it's also cave paintings. I mean. The other one that blows my mind are, are you know, just any image of cave paintings. And these are, some of these are 30,000 years old and yet they, they are incredibly well done. I mean, they're artistic. They're not, um, you know, they, they were, if I had done a cave painting 35,000 <laughs> years ago and no one would be like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I want to be going to visit those caves and going, oh, you know, they go, oh God, what happened to that guy? But, you know, you, you, you see some of the stuff and, in the, you know, these cave paintings. I think it was a great documentary by um, the German director. Um, uh, it'll come back to me. But anyway, uh, famous German, and there's a great documentary where he goes into these famous caves in, in France. Colin, quick question, just pretending for a second that we're in a classroom and you're a student and you're talking about the cave painting. So a very simple question that any teacher can ask, and I ask you now is, when mm. you look at, say, Hieronymus Bosch's Hell, what do you, what do you see? I want to go back to the cave paintings. Okay, okay. Please, <laughs> um, when you look at the cave paintings, what what do you see? I I mean I I just see it's moving, right? It, it it's it, it's kind of it, it's eerie because it it's 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 so old and yet it kind of looks so kind of fresh, you know. It, and those people, you just realise those people had the same were this, they're kind of the same as you and yet this is 30,000 years ago and they're, they're they're trying to 
do something that we all try to, like your students are trying to do, they're trying to express themselves in, in, in these kind of uh, visual, visual ways. I mean, they're trying to communicate something, but we don't, it's, there's a profound mystery as to what they're trying to maybe communicate, whether it, who it's for. I mean, some of these cave paintings are strange. They're, they're in places where you can't really go and see them. They're, they're kind of tucked in little alcoves where, so they must be very personal as well. I mean, all kinds of questions. Uh, I mean, it, it just kind of creates a kind of shiver down my spine whenever I, I sort of, I look at images of them. I, you know, there's a, that very famous one with the hands. I mean, they, they clearly just blown their hands paint over their hands. And I mean, my goodness, right? That, those are hands are thousands, those pictures are hands thousands of years old. And yet the hand, of course, itself is this incredible, you know, it's the, it's the human, the most is apart from language it's maybe the other most human thing about us is our, our is our hands which are completely unique i mean they must have noticed that their hands are hands and other animals don't i mean chimpanzees have hands but they don't obviously have the opposable thumbs working like we do but, i mean you know you can go on and on and on and on and on and on you can yes <laughs> when your students are you know what happens when your students start talking about these things it's like Very oh, there's, a connection, there's a connection there's a connection there's a connection there's a connection but one one thing is for sure that these images then invite you to explore the world's mysteries you could say that and you could say the biggest mystery of all is what's in your own head and so it's a case of in a way uh, sometimes i look at art as a mirror it's reflecting what's happening to the mind of, in the mind of the audience and i would also argue that the best learning is internally motivated and the, the, the person doing the learning feels meaningful connection. And as Colin, as you were speaking about the cave paintings, I never thought about cave paintings like that before. But as you say it, I feel it as well. So it's a great sharing. And learning should be sharing. And, and what you're saying also brings one you know, very metaphysical point uh, to the fore, I suppose, um, which is that it is a window into ourself, as you said, and leads to self-awareness, which in Hinduism, we believe is the highest form of knowledge. Enlightenment comes from self-awareness, knowing yourself. Yeah. And um, so, yes, education traditionally has not really uh, given emphasis to these aspects, but I think we are probably headed there. I'd love to put that in my course, Learning Outcomes. Students will you know, learn, learn, how to, learn how to use grammatical structures effectively and organize an essay. And well, it may not happen in the next 10 years. Self-awareness, yeah, guaranteed that's it. You know, I could have that on the um, student evaluation form as well. I, I, I know the time is nearly up. Let me make one more point, just connected to what you guys said. To me, you know, research is about abstracting and about seeing different levels. And so it's similar to looking at a painting. You can zoom in and find a detail and then zoom out. And so literally, when you're thinking, your processes can be bigger or leveling down to the detail. And I, you know, it takes time to move in and out. Um, and for me, you know, I often think, what's my job? It's not just students getting an A grade, you know, I hope. My job is to help them help them feel that they are doing something that's, that's, that, that's making them into people they want to be at a, at a most abstract level, you could argue. And you know, we're at tertiary level, they've done the primary, they've done the secondary, and it's now do the tertiary. T tertiary meaning keep pushing yourself.
in a way that you enjoy. Thank you, Loana. That was wonderful. The takeaway messages for me were that images can be used to teach students about that different interpretations, that one message can have many, many different uh, interpretations. Um, we also talked about the role of emotion um, and how that generates a certain unique and creative kind of expression. We talked about how it reflects our biases and, and gives us insight into our own self and others. And um, for me, these, things, these three things were very, very powerful. Colin, what about you? I've just remembered who the director was. It's Werner <laughs> okay. Herzog, and I can't believe I forgot his name because I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his his work. But uh, under, under the pressure of um, under the pressure of time, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I would, yeah, I would, I would say um, uh, it, it reminds us that um, that we, as I think, as language teachers, um, we need to consider um, ways of exp of expand of, of creating opportunities for students to ex expand their, their range of expression and, and use language creatively. Um, and this seems like a, a wonderful way of doing it. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Thanks for a great chat. Thanks again for joining us today on The Teacher's Lift. Teachers Lift is a collaborative effort from the Centre for Applied English Studies at the University of Hong Kong and the Centre for Language Education at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and the English Language Centre at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. We'd like to thank you for joining us today. If you like this episode and you'd like to hear the next one, be sure to subscribe on whatever major podcasting app you use. Until next time, have a good day.